Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, first question. You ready to get this team preview series rolling? Yes, I am. We got a great guest here tonight, Joey. Cam Underwood. We do. State of the U, covering the Miami Hurricanes. I I have to start with this. Cam, I'm really sorry that we're late, but we weren't quite as late as Malik Rozier is throwing to the flat. Oh, I mean, either that or um, up the seam or up the sideline to Jeff Thomas in the ACC championship game. And I think he just threw that ball right now. But, you know, uh, guys are a little tardy. But, you know, hey, you know, technical things happen. But, you know, it's good to be back home with you guys either way. Well, we welcome Cam back to the Mike and Joey Hate Miami podcast. Yes. <laughs> At long last. I think it's been a, a, been a few weeks, but. It's always good to have you on. You've been with us since the beginning, and you know Miami football as well as anybody. We're looking to talk about your Hurricanes this year. Uh, coming off a 10-3 and season, they started off 10-0, and uh, won the Coastal Division, uh, You know, went to Charlotte and represented that division, uh, played in the Orange Bowl, had a big season in Miami. Um, the question now, I think, becomes, was 2017 a, uh, a bit of a fluke, or is this more of a, a 2018 a chance to just finish the drill? Is this realistic? Um, and so we kind of wanted to talk through this this team and kind of how it differs a little bit maybe from last year. And I think the big sticking point, Cam, all, all offseason, and I've seen this on your Twitter, you know, constantly, almost daily, is about the quarterback situation. And that's going to be the big sticking point. I think if you're looking at last year's Miami team, probably the biggest weakness was the quarterback spot. Malik Rozier having some accuracy issues, um, you know, at one point got pulled during the pit game late in the year. Wanted to get your take on where this currently sits. You know, is it are we still sticking with Malik Rozier uh, going into the season, or is there a potential look at somebody else to start uh, early for Miami? No, um, it's going to be Malik Rozier. He's going to be the quarterback. Period. Point blank. Um, and I know that um, you know uh, Mark Richt is trying to say, "Oh, it's open competition and everything like that." I'm not calling the man a liar. I just don't believe him. Uh, and you can take that as you want. Um, if it were open competition, then Malik Rogier would not have gotten the lion's share of the snaps with the ones in the spring. If it was an actual open competition, like it would have, it would have actually been open, but it wasn't, it wasn't really open. It was open in loose air quotations in that, okay, instead of him, instead of Malik Rogier taking 99% of the snaps with the first team, he took. 70% of the snaps in the first team and they gave some snaps to Nikosi Perry. I mean, it was, I mean, it, it, it was, it was just, it was just a sham, honestly. I mean, it wasn't really open. It wasn't okay. 50, 50, you know, we're really rotating like that. And I just don't believe that Mark Richt is going to go away from Malik Rogier. Now, if people want to talk about, well, okay, you know, Malik Rogier won so many games, wins are not a quarterback stat, but I get how, people conflate that and how they put those things together uh, and whatnot. But it's going to be, it's going to be Malik Rozier. And, you know, if this red shirt rule that's in, uh, in effect for this season, well, the one where players can play any four games in the year and retain their red shirt. So they can play in October, November, December, and the bowl game, one game each or any other four games and still maintain the red shirts. Nikosi Perry would have played last year. Like there were many games, even against, you know, your Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. That first half that Malik Rozier had was atrocious. If you're looking at Florida State, four for 16 for 34 yards and interception in the first uh, first half, atrocious. Um, if you're looking at these other games, Syracuse first half. I mean, just the Toledo first half, the first quarter was kind of eh, had an early touchdown, but then it was kind of wonky for a quarter and a half there. There were so many times where if Miami had any kind of reasonable alternative that was not burning a red shirt of a freshman that kid would have played and Evan Sheriffs obviously didn't have the skill set really to play here and you saw that when he caught in for three plays against Pittsburgh because Mark Richt was beyond his wits end because Pittsburgh just said look we're going to stack the box we're going to play press man you need to hit throws if you hit throws then you're going to blow us out but we don't think that your quarterback can hit throws and he didn't he's throwing grounders he's throwing just I mean it was terrible all of that being said there's comfort in seniority you know what i mean uh every time that mark rick spoke about the quarterback position it was i mean even after the spring game or the open scrimmage that you know was at hard rock stadium you're like yo jaron williams true freshman from georgia really nice arm really good throws game was a little too fast for him a couple times but you could see the potential nicosi perry you know he's making throws and everything had you know some offensive line issues had a couple drops but you see what you know 
there is to be excited there. Mark Richt is talking about getting in and out of the huddle. He's talking about, um, you know, side adjustments. He's talking about audibles. He's talking about these other things that the quarterback has to do that don't really manifest themselves to the casual fan. It's like when you're, if you're updating your house and you're doing a lot of um, plumbing and electrical where it's in the walls and it does increase the value and safety of your home, you're not really seeing that. And I think that those things are really what are going to make Malik Rozier the starter. The thing with him is either he is incredibly good. The throws that he made, I mean, the throw to beat Florida State, the throw up to see him against, uh, who was that, Virginia, after a turnover for a touchdown. There were so many times where you could see a flash of a really good quarterback. The thing about it was it was so inconsistent, and I already gave you some statistics on the other side. So you cannot go the last three games of the year completing 40-something percent of the passes. Well, 41, I think it was. 50, I was whatever, it was super low. You can't do that. You cannot have 54% completions for the year. That's not good enough. Um, but regardless, I think that Mark Richt is putting it everything on Malik Rogier. So uh, I know that people don't want to believe me on that or they don't want to agree with me on that. But yeah, I think it's going to be Malik Rogier's show come hell or high water. Cam and I have been uh, hand in hand fighting Twitter wars against uh, crazy Miami fans. Uh, you know. That's that's what we do with the battles that we fight with Malik Rozier. Um, so if there's a question about the quarterback position, and that's the top question, the second biggest question on the team is the offensive line and the turnover there. Because Malik Rozier is only going to be as good as his offensive line. And even if his offensive line's good, you know, we saw what he can or can't be last year. So what's the level of concern a Miami fan should have with not only Malik Rozier, but the offensive line heading to the year? The the concern with Malik Rozier is consistency, um, and that's in just kind of every single way. I mean, he had more rushing yards in one season than Miami quarterbacks have had in the last four previous combined. Um, even still, I think that he made some improper reads in the read option game or the zone read game. So I think he could have even been more impactful uh, using his legs. I also think that he was trying um, to be – he was trying to live within the constraints put on him by Mark Richt because uh, he wanted to freelance Rogier that is wanted to freelance too much previously. And that was when Mark Rick said, you won't play for me if you keep doing that. So even when there were some opportunities to run early in the year, he was hearing, you know, the ghost of Mark Richt in his ear saying, don't do that. So he didn't. Um, so that's the, where the level of concern is. If there's not improvement on in demonstrable, you know, statistics and, and performance. If he keeps throwing grounders, uh, you know, and missing wide open guys, or like we joked about at the beginning, just super late. Um, and even in the in the ACC championship game, that throw to Jeff Thomas that was late, that was like a him route. That was like a one receiver route, and it worked. And he was butt naked, wide open, and you still didn't throw the ball on time. That's the concern there. But getting to the this question, yeah, the offensive line, man, it, we just have to. We have to see improvement. We have to see. Yeah, I mean, that's just pretty much it. Um, you know, teams are going to crash against the zone read game. You know, they're going to try to limit the running backs. Uh, and Miami has a bunch of them who are really good, uh, in addition to Rozier. Um, and, you know, they everybody now has the exact blueprint of what to do. You know, Florida State, they're able to do it. Uh, you know, really get pressure with four, maybe bring a blitz and then really disrupt things up front. Um, North Carolina was able to do it for a half. Uh, Pittsburgh obviously was able to do it for a full game. Uh, even Georgia Tech was able to do it for a while, you know, uh, and a couple other teams. So there is a, a blueprint out there for how to beat Miami if you can make it happen, which is stack the box, press the receivers, make Malik Rogier, you know, hit throws. If the offensive line gives time, Obviously, that makes everybody's job, well, time and space, depending on, you know, what the blocking uh, engagement is, that makes everybody's job easier. And I'm not sure that we really have the offensive line to do that yet. Um, in the spring, uh, true freshman, early enrollee, Gregory Roge uh, Russo, excuse me, uh, he played safety mo mostly in high school, uh, but he was like, you know, 6'7", 205, and he's gained some weight, or 6'6", whatever, he's tall and, you know, whatever, uh, but uh, he plays defensive end now, and we recruited him as that because he has that skill set. He was so individually disruptive a month and a half out of high school in the spring that Miami had to scrap their offensive line and redo positions. Like Navon Donaldson moved uh, from guard to tackle. You kick a guy out of the lineup. You know, you're just immediately reshuffling 
for a kid who should have been going to English four and science, you know, whatever, <laughs> you know, but he was right. Exactly. Now, Russo has great talent. He is uh, athletic, you know, freak, you know, like I said, he's, he's tall, he's long, he's, you know, he's gaining weight, he's all those things. But there's no reason that that guy at this level should come in and be the second coming of whatever dominant defensive end you want to call to the point where Miami has to shuffle their offensive line. So, you know, hopefully this new group, um, you're looking at Tyree St. Louis at left tackle. You're looking at like a Tyler Gauthier, uh, Hayden Mahoney, maybe a, a Corey Gaynor, maybe a Venzel Boulware who transferred. He's an interior lineman transfer from Tennessee. And then Devon Donaldson at right tackle. Hopefully whatever group from that emerges is able to do the job. Um, and it's going to be interesting because Miami has very few like game ready tackles and Donaldson six, six, he played at about three seventy last year, uh, but he played interior at guard. He was a freshman all American, you know, whatever. Um, but he slimmed down a little bit and he always wanted to play tackle. He played tackle for the last three years of high school. Cause you know, if you go to Miami central and you're six, six, 300 and whatever pounds, you're going to be an offensive tackle because that's, you know, what you do. So he's finally getting to play the position that he wants to play. So hopefully that motivates him at the right side. Tyree St. Louis is just our probably our best tackle option on the left side. If those guys don't work out a tackle, then we're in a bad spot because we don't really have anybody behind them. The interior line needs to do better as well. Tyler Gauthier is on the Remington Award list as a, uh, the nation's best center, or he's on that early watch list, I should say. So he does have some skill, but, you know, those other guys uh, need to get in there and it's not even about the individuals. Offensive line has to play as a unit. It has to be that five-man synergy, and you only get that over time and time in competition. So, yeah, they might have gone out to you know Green Tree Practice Field or the IM Fields or whatever and worked on their drops and worked on their things over the spring and summer. But, man, yeah, I mean, really want to see those guys take a step forward or just even be able to be decent. Because if you're able to be decent and give Malik Rogier a bit of time, I – he sometimes has the ability to hit throws and hopefully he's worked on the ability or the to be able to raise that. And the the rest of the offense is loaded. Wide receivers, uh, two freshman tight ends, and the running back room is one of the best in America. But the offensive line has to do their job. Even if it's only average, that will get covered up because of the elite level skill players that Miami has. Yeah, you, you can't. You can't build a big fancy house on a uh, on a crappy rotten foundation, right? And the, the foundation is always going to be in the trenches. I have to think that there's no talent deficit there. You know, you talk about straight up physical ability for Miami. It's just more a matter of getting the getting the results out of that talent that that you expect. I want to flip over and talk to the other side of the line, Cam, on on defense, and where again, I know there is no talent deficit there for Miami. They are dealing with some some turnover this year, though. They get back Joe Jackson, get back Demetrius Jackson, which are, are a big deal. But you lose Chad Thomas, R.J. McIntosh, Kendrick Norton, a couple of those guys. And perhaps more importantly, lose Craig Kuligowski to Alabama, the, the defensive line coach from Miami. Is, is that a potential issue for the Hurricanes this year as we talk about, you know, their defense last year very turnover-driven? It was also a lot of those turnovers being driven off of the pass rush and the havoc that those guys are creating in the backfield. Do they have the horses to you know to replace these guys, or is that going to change up the look of what Miami's defense is going to do this year without a couple of those talented guys up front? No, I think that we're going to do what we're going to do. Um, I think that's the scheme you know put it, uh, employed by Manny Diaz is to wreak havoc, you know, uh, especially in the front seven, uh, which I think the defensive line had like the third highest individual uh, havoc rate in America. And the linebackers were like fifth or sixth or something like that. I mean, those guys, I mean, they're, they're shooting gaps. They're making plays. They're being disruptive. And havoc being tip balls, fumbles, calls, recovered interceptions, sacks, all those, you know, things that are positive for the defense but negative for the offense. So even in losing – you know, I, it, it is a, a deal that we lost R.J. McIntosh and Kendrick Norton early uh, to the NFL. But then you also lose Chad Thomas because he's out of eligibility as a senior. Trent Harris, who was very underrated. Anthony Moten, who was your third probably defensive tackle last year. Um, and then D.J. Johnson, who was an you know, All-American recruit, but then he got homesick uh, and transferred to Oregon. Uh, so, yeah, you lose like – and then a couple guys from attrition who just weren't going to play here. But you lose eight dudes – up front and you bring in three in the recruiting class. Excuse me. I thought I had my phone muted. Um, but yeah, so there's obviously going to be a, a different set of names going up there. Joe Jackson is the headliner. He's a cyborg. He's 6'5", 265. If he plays well, he could be a first or second round draft pick. Tito Odenigbo is coming over from Illinois. 
uh, to play defensive tackle. Demetrius Jackson, like you mentioned, he missed the last couple of games with a knee injury. He can play tackle or uh, end. He's like 6'3", 265. So he's a little undersized when he goes inside, but he's probably the best run defender on the defensive line. Uh, Pat Bethel is in there. Uh, he's moved from end to tackle. He's up to like 285 and carrying the weight well. Jonathan Garvin's going to be your other starting defensive end, and he was super-duper underrated um, as a recruit. He was a three-star, and that was ridiculous because he's he's so quick. He's you know he he's just so quick that tackles really can't deal with him. And then there's a bunch of other guys. You know, Gerald Willis, who was once a five-star recruit like five years ago. He's in his last season now. Missed last year for a personal issue, uh, but, you know, was unblockable on scout team. He's going to start at defensive tackle, and he has all the physical traits to be a dominant player. Um, Jonathan Ford is going to be a sophomore. Scott Patchen, Jade, Sil- or sorry, Nesta Silvera is a freshman, four-star defensive tackle. I already told you that Gregory Russo was so dominant in the spring that that precipitated the offensive line change. Um and then there's another kid at defensive tackle who's, I mean, he's got a little bit of baby fat on him, so he's probably not going to really be an impact player this year. But, yeah, there's going to be a lot of different names, but I, it really comes down to those guys executing, and especially at the top level. You're, you're starting defensive line of Joe Jackson, John Garvin, Gerald Willis, and probably Pat Bethel. That top four, I mean, I'm not going to say like last year compare them to Clemson. I think that there's a clear step behind because Clemson returned everybody, which is ridiculous. But that's a starting – I mean, many teams in America would love that starting defensive line. And I think that Manny Diaz trusts them to get the job done, um, you know, and just kind of continue to do what Miami does and wreaking havoc. Insofar as the coaching, uh, Kuligowski is, is a great coach. He's probably the best defensive line coach in football or at least in college football for my money. Um, the thing where he struggled was recruiting. And you can kind of see that by, you know, yeah, we have, you know, three freshmen coming in and, you know, lost eight guys between graduation and attrition or whatever. Uh, and it's it, it will be easy for him uh, and his personality and everything at Alabama because you just walk in a, into the living room. You say, do you want to come to Alabama or not? Because if you don't, then we got all kinds of four and five star dudes. Last year, they had a four star kid who they said, you know, what? we don't have a scholarship for you. Stay at home and work out and we'll bring you in for the 2018 season. I mean, you could do that when you're Alabama. It doesn't take effort, really, to recruit there. So I think that that's maybe a better fit for him. He can just go and coach badasses to be badass uh, and not really have to recruit because you got, you know, a million analysts who don't help in recruiting. But, yeah, they do, um, at Alabama, obviously. Um, but into Miami comes Jess Simpson. Um, he was a legendary high school coach at Buford, Georgia, won seven state titles in, like, ten in a 10-year span, coached there for, like, 12 years. Um or and then he was a coach at a different high school also in the Atlanta area. So he was like a 20 year high school coaching career. That's pretty legendary, honestly. Um, after that, he went to Georgia Southern for a year. After that, he was with the Atlanta Falcons. Hey, Joe, your team uh, as a defensive line assistant. Hey, and you're wearing a Falcon shirt there. Yeah. So Jess uh, Simpson is coached at the high school level. He's coached at the college level and he's coached at the NFL level. Um, so, I mean, yeah, he has a wealth of knowledge. If uh, all the profiles and things like people at Buford, Georgia, where he coached for you know years, they were like, we didn't expect him to stay here. Like we always thought like he was going to leave because he's a great coach. He's, you know, I could see how he would build relationships and recruiting. You know, he knows his X's and O's. There were college and professional defensive line coaches who would fly to Atlanta and go over to Buford, Georgia to learn tips of the defensive line trade from Jess Simpson. And that's verified. Like, I didn't make that up. You can go look at the profiles on a couple of websites, even ours, that say, oh, yeah, like this coach did and this coach did and this coach did. They came to him for knowledge or brought him into their, you know, camp practice, whatever, to or to even just to the office to fellowship and just learn because he has that kind of knowledge. So I don't think that there's going to be a big fall off on, like, you know, the ability to coach that position. Um, hopefully there's a, a better interaction in recruiting to go along with. Coaching now, I, I mean, I did say that Craig Kuligowski is the best defensive line coach. So I don't know that Jess Simpson is the best because you don't have one best, but he's in that same rarefied air of conversation. Yes, Jess, not Jessica, which you will find if uh, you you run that search, you'll find uh, yeah, chicken of uh, what chicken of the sea is that the one from her? That sounds right. I was gonna yeah. say small small but important difference between Jess right. and Jessica Simpson. Yeah, yeah, no, he, he, he's a big dude and knows what he's doing with the defensive line. So, I mean, yeah, I think that Miami um, at least 
I mean, at a minimum, I think that it's a lateral kind of replacement move because even if there is a deficit on the coaching side, there's a definite advantage for Miami now with Jess Simpson's recruiting versus Craig Kuligowski's. So if you have a peer level kind of replacement for one of, if not the best coach of the defensive line in football or in college football, then I think Miami's in a good spot. And I think we'll see the defensive line continue to be the defensive line that they have been uh, in recent years. All right, Cam, let's talk about the running backs. The moment we've all been waiting for. Oh yeah. Uh, I don't think Travis Homer's a bell cow back necessarily, but I don't think he needs to be with that running back room. Right. Uh, he's. I don't think he is. I don't think Travis Homer is like a a thirty five carry uh, a game guy. And his I don't production think- went down. I mean, his production went down last year. The more carries he had, which right. I mean, is fi- it happens to a lot of guys at college level. Exactly. I mean, he he was very explosive. You know, he had that long touchdown run against Virginia Tech. Uh, He had, you know, a couple long runs against Notre Dame and that blowout. I mean, and things like that. But, you know, if you look back to Mark Walton when he was here, Mark Walton in the 2016 season had one game of more than 19 carries. And that was a 24 carry uh, effort at or against uh, North Carolina, which is the most carries he ever had in a game. So you're talking 15, 17, 16, 15, 14, 24, 11, 18, 14, 16, 19, 13, 17 in carries per game. Last year, when Walton was starting, 16, 11, 17, and 12 uh, in the game against Florida State where he broke his leg. I mean, Miami doesn't need guys to be, you know, 35 carries, especially with the running back room. Travis Homer is going to be your starter. He's probably going to have another – well, not another because he didn't get there last year, but he's probably going to have a 1,000-yard season. He's you know probably still going to be in that six yards per carry kind of a thing because he runs hard, he's fast, uh, way faster than people think, and he's a one-cut downhill kind of guy. And if you saw, you know, against – of Virginia Tech and uh, Notre Dame, especially like he, like he'll take one, he'll go to the left, put that left foot in the ground, cut it back right against the grain, and he's out of there. So he has great talent. He was a high four star recruit coming in. You have uh, DJ Dallas from uh, Georgia also, who started at slot receiver, but was always more of a natural running back. Walton got injured. He moved to running back, and Dallas is electric. He can play running back. And, you know, he makes people miss. He has this quickness in space that is absolutely elite. Um, I believe Georgia Tech recruited him as a quarterback. Well, because he played option quarterback in high school at Brunswick or Mm -hmm. Glenn Academy down in uh, Brunswick, Georgia. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, that would fit there. But even if you watched him in high school, the little itty-bitty shakes that he puts on people, he had a, a catch in the North Carolina game, in the middle of the field, you know, a little square in, whatever, a little hook route. And he turns and faces up to the linebacker, takes two steps, puts a shake on him, and he's off to the races. Should have scored a touchdown if he would have kind of bent the other way. But, I mean, he has this elite, elite quickness. And, I mean, he had that diving touchdown against Notre Dame. He had two touchdowns in that game. He got more into things as the year went on. Uh, A few of our best plays in the ACC championship game were DJ Dallas as a wildcat quarterback. Uh, He didn't even throw last year, but he can throw out of that as well. So he's a dynamic player who can play, you know, many positions, punt return, kick return, running back, uh, H back, probably wildcat quarterback slot receiver. He could probably play outside receiver, too. Um, So he's in that running back room. Lorenzo Lingard is a five star recruit um, that Miami just got this year. And that's really uh, a kid who makes me excited. I mean, even as good as Homer and Dallas are, Lorenzo Lingard is the prototype. I mean, he's six foot and a half inch. He's probably, you know, 195 pounds. He was a state champion hurdler uh, in high school. He is also, uh, he did well. He, he enrolled early, so he competed for the track and field team in the spring. Uh, so, you know, he did that as well. But, I mean, elite athleticism. He clocked a 4 2 in the 40 in the spring. I think that was hand timed. But even to be around that as a hand time, even if you bump that up to, you know, 4 4 flat, the kid can fly. So, I mean, and he is what when you think of all of those running backs at Georgia that Mark Richt had, Lorenzo Lingard would fit straight in with anybody that you would name. Um, yeah. And he's third string, you know. So, I mean, he'll be in that rotation. He'll, I mean, he, he Lorenzo Lingard is going to play this year. He's not going to be four games in a redshirt kind of a guy. He's going to play. He's going to contribute. He's going to make some plays that make you say, "Ooh," because he has that kind of talent. Uh, Cam Davis is also in that room. He's a, uh, a freshman as well. Um he might redshirt just because he's a little bit further behind the other guys. But, I mean, he's 5'9", and he's probably 200 pounds. I just saw him at Paradise Camp this weekend, and he's been in the weight room. Like, he's his chest is all out and everything. Like, he's, you know, he, he's big. So, 
and he's very quick as well. Also, uh, like DJ Dallas, he's a very good pass receiver. Um, Robert Burns was at one time a four-star, five-star kind of kid, but he was bit by the injury bug every year since his sophomore year of high school. Um, physically, he looks the part. Five foot ten, two hundred twenty-eight pounds with like nine percent body fat, which like I know is crazy, but I mean he's he's stocky, he's muscular, and if he can be the kind of player and showcase that athleticism that he once did, he can be great as well. Um, and then you have Trayon Gray, uh, who's going to be a senior this year. He, uh, you know, he's probably going to play a little bit more fullback. Um, not even sure how much of fullback he will actually play on the field, but he's kind of sliding that way. He's, you know, 6'2", 235, and arguably the fastest running back in that group at that size, which I know sounds crazy, but he can fly even after a knee injury and everything. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't think I missed anybody, did I? Well, Realist George is a freshman uh, fullback from Atlanta Pace Academy who's a big dude. Um, and he, he he looks older than his years. He almost looks like me, you know, bald head, but he has a full beard that I can't grow. Um, and he, uh, a Miami staffer tried to kick him off the sideline during his official visit because he looked like a grown man like me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I, from a couple journalists, uh, friends of mine who were on the field, they were like, oh, yeah, no, that absolutely happened. You go over, hey, you know, sir, like, you got to leave. He's like, no, like, I'm a recruit. They're like, no, 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 seriously, sir, like, you, you can't be down here with your son. And, like, one of the other recruiting staffers had to come over and was like, no, this is really a kid that we're recruiting. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's 6'2", 245, and he's probably going to be your starting fullback. But, yeah, there's a d- diverse, you know, amount of talent in that room. Uh, you can go two backs. You can go, you know, split backs. You can uh, have two backs on the field with DJ Dallas where you move him wherever you need him. So he can be a slot. He can be a wildcat. He can be, you know, in the fullback position and kind of motion. I mean, you can do so many different things when you have that kind of talent. But, yeah, Miami has really, really good running backs. And I don't think any one of them is probably going to get even 25 carries in a game this year just because there's so many dudes. Like, just run really hard, next guy in, run really fast, run really hard, next guy in, and just kind of rotate like that. Cam, you've mentioned a lot of names here. If I'm a, if I'm a casual ACC fan, I need one name, one new name I need to know on the Miami offense. Who is that? One new name on the Miami offense is going to be tight end Brevin Jordan. Okay. He was the nation's number one tight end recruit out of Bishop Gorman High School in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, he's six two and a half, probably about 250, um, and he's – He's going to start at tight end. I mean, he has that kind of talent, and Miami has a dearth of talent other than the freshmen, really, uh, just because the returning guys on the roster have names that you might have heard. Well, I know one of them does because, you know, he has his dad's name. Um, that that would be Michael Irvin II. So, yes, you've heard his name before. Um, but, like, I mean, yeah, him and Brian Palindi, the returners, they're not starting caliber tight ends at Miami, just plain and simple. Uh, but Brevin Jordan is – he can do everything that you want. He's kind of in that Chris – Herndon mold from last year. Um, he, you know, is an inch or two shorter than Herndon, but I mean, yeah, he can play H back. He can move. He can play in line. He can split into the slot. Brevin Jordan can do everything that you want a tight end to do. Uh, it's just going to be a matter of him really picking up the full offense and being able to block is going to be key, obviously. But yeah, one name because he's Brevin Jordan's going to start. He's probably going to be, you know, a freshman All American or freshman All ACC, something like that. But Brevin Jordan should be your starting tight end. Um, and since he's going to clock those kind of snaps, that's a name you should know. How about the guy on defense? Ooh, that's a good question. I already gave you Gregory Russo, so I'm not going to give you that one again. The new name, okay, and uh, Gerald Willis III doesn't count because he's a fifth-year senior. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I know that, like, yeah, he hasn't played at Miami in a while, but no. Um, if we're talking about freshmen, then it has to be uh, – I already told you Jade Silvera or Nessa Silvera. Um, I'm going to say – I'm going to go on a limb, and I know that most Miami fans are probably going to say the other corner that I'm not going to say, but I'm going to say Gilbert Frierson. Um, he is from Coral Gables High School, which is in Coral Gables, which is the same city that the University of Miami is. It's right down uh, the street there, so it's a eight-minute ride from the University of Miami campus. He is – I believe cousins with either Frank Gore or Denzel Perryman, uh, who both also went to Miami or Coral Gables High before they went to Miami. I think, uh, yeah. So he's family members with one of them. So he's a legacy, um, and he's you know he's six to probably one hundred and ninety five pounds. Um, I think that he would be 
just an all-world free safety. You know, just put him in the middle of the field and let him go get it. Miami is trying to, you know, build a SEC-sized team now, um, at, at least on height. Maybe not on bulk, but at least on height. So Miami's going to play Frierson at cornerback. Um and there are snaps to be had there. So whether it's him or, I mean, we do have a few other freshmen, Al Blades Jr., son of Al Blades, you know, God rest his soul, former Miami Hurricane, uh, and a bunch of other dudes in that secondary. But for me, Gilbert Frierson, I've always been a big, big fan of him and his skill set, and I think that that's a name to know on defense for a freshman. Cam, I want to look at the schedule here. Uh, the way that we're going to look at this, basically, I want to classify all the games on the schedule as either surefire wins, surefire losses, or toss-ups. Um, Can I stop you right there? Please, go ahead. We don't have any surefire losses, so I, that's just a zero for this season. I figured, that was, gonna be a, I, I figured yeah. that was going to be a pretty short discussion, the, uh, right, the surefire yeah. losses aspect of it. Yeah. Um, so maybe the most important thing that we can do here is identify on the schedule the toss As I look at it, I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call four of the twelve games on Miami schedule toss-up games. I want to see if you can guess which ones I'm thinking here. The games you're thinking of as toss-ups are the opener against LSU, Ding. October October the sixth against Florida State, Ding. November the seventeenth at Virginia Tech. Ding. Ooh, that fourth one though. Okay. Mm, mm. I won't make you wait on it. I'll go at Georgia Tech November 10th as well. Okay, see, okay, that was one of my three. That was one of the options I was debating. But yeah, I could see that. Yeah. I, I in my mind, you, you have those two back-to-back road games late in the year. Who knows who's healthy and who's injured and right. you know who's focused and who's not, blah, 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 blah. So that's those two, I think, almost as a as a combination. I think you go at least one and one there, uh, if not two and zero. Chance you lose one or both, but I, I don't know. Well, in any case, um, I mean, I I think that in that case, the real one. I mean, obviously, every year playing Georgia Tech, you're playing the scheme. You're not really playing the players. And I know that you have a lot of returning guys, including the quarterback, blah blah blah. But you have to beat that scheme more than mm-hmm. anything. Um, and there's no bye week before that this year, like we had last year. Um, actually, we didn't have last year because the hurricane got you know rescheduled and everything. But the attrition factor, you know, the body blow theory, you know, shout out to the solid verbal with Dan and Ty. Mm-hmm. That next week after playing Georgia Tech at Virginia Tech, you know, that's the one where you know you got to see how fresh you are, how mentally fresh you are, because Georgia Tech is its own kind of thing, and they will lean on you and they'll usually grind you if you let. Let them like last year. I think that Georgia Tech had the ball for like 42 minutes of the game or something, and we barely, you know, squeaked by by the skin of our teeth. Then you're going to go from that again to Blacksburg, and they blew us out in Blacksburg two years ago, uh, 2016. We got some get back last year, so now they want to get back to get back this year. And I mean, I know that that's a game that they have scheduled, and we're coming off of one of the more intensive games playing that damn wish blown option crap that Georgia Tech does, that does level the playing field a little bit, I think, uh, you know, to, to recover from that. But, I mean. <sighs> I was going to point out, too, you talk about body blow theory. Miami has a has a bye week, uh, you know, for the October 20th, Saturday, basically. From there, they go Friday at Boston College, home at or home against Duke, and then at Georgia Tech, at Virginia Tech. You figure that the back two of that four game stretch could be, you know, somewhat physically taxed team. Yeah. Even even coming off a of bye week, but again, road trip to Boston College and a home game against Duke is not a great setup to at Georgia Tech at Virginia Tech. I think late November. Yeah, and the the Boston College game is one that people I think need to look at a little bit stronger. Boston mm-hmm. College has one of the biggest and most experienced offensive lines in college football, let alone the ACC. They have a dynamic running back in A.J. Dillon. I mean, if you don't know that name and haven't watched him play before, and I get it because it's Boston College, they haven't really been that good. That kid is 6'2", 245, and he does not move like a man that big. Affectionately I mean, nicknamed the D-Train on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, that's fine because, you know, we had 33 trucking and derailed them last year, you know, from Notre Dame. So that's fine. <laughs> but, I mean, that kid, that kid, is, you know, he's 6'2", 6'3", 240, 245. I mean, that's a big boy running. So, I mean, 
when you have a team like Miami, who is not the biggest team, even on the defensive line, you get a bigger player like that. And then, you know, you get tired and the arm tackles. And he's going to run through those. That's a game that is sneakily more difficult than I think people are giving it credit for. And I think that it's a clear Miami win by probably like two touchdowns or more, but it's not going to be super duper easy 73 to seven kind of a game. Um, Duke, whatever. But then, yeah, you get those two road games. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the back end is a little bit more challenging than the front end of the schedule in that we have, you know, four of our last six are on the road. But Miami's favored in every game this year um, from the ESPN FPI and from um, my buddy S, uh, at SB Nation, Bill Connolly's S&P Plus. So two different metrics have Miami as the favorites in every single game. So, yeah, it is tougher to go on the road and win, but Miami is the most talented team or going to be the most talented team on the field, you know, pretty much every week. You can make the argument LSU's talent. You can make the argument Florida State's talent, um, maybe not uh, developed in demonstrable skill. But, you know, those are the only two teams on the regular season schedule that have the kind of talent that Miami does. Should we talk about record predictions? Let's do it. All right, so I'll go first here. Um, I think Miami is just on another level in the coastal. Like, it's Miami and then, you know, 30 feet of crap and then everybody else, <laughs> in my opinion. I just don't – I don't really see a team this year that is on the level that Miami's at talent-wise, experience-wise, um, you know. There are a lot of good coaches in the Coastal, but I don't think any of them touch Mark Richt at this moment. Um, looking at the schedule, I man, I don't know. My, like you said, I mean, Miami's so talented. They're going to have the best team on the field in almost every game they play, except for maybe two, and the two you just mentioned, LSU and Florida State. That's just from a talent standpoint, not from an actual team standpoint. Um, man, I'm going to say... I'm going to say Miami goes 11 and one. I won't tell you what game they lose because I don't know what game they lose. I'm just going to say that it could be one of those four toss up games we mentioned, and it'll be Malik Rozier's fault. And I'll just, <laughs> I'll, leave that, I'll leave that there. It'll be, it'll be a Malik Rozier dud. He won't be consistent. And, um, you know, maybe they don't get a turnover or two on defense. that makes the difference. Like it did so many times last year. But I think Miami's team is going to be better this year overall than it was last year. I think the margin for error is going to be a lot larger than it was for last year's Miami team uh, with this year's Miami team. So I'm going to say 11 and one. I think they pretty easily win the Coastal by a couple games. I don't, I, you know, they'll play in the ACC championship against Clemson and we'll see what happens. That's going to be the real, the real question as to how close Miami is to being back. So I'll leave it there. We'll say 11 and one. Cam, what's your thought? Um, yeah, the thing with the schedule especially is that I don't see even two losses. Um, and it really comes down to Miami doing what we need to do. And like, regardless of the opponent, like if Miami takes care of business, if Miami executes the way that we need to execute, there should not be, I mean, even a loss, like even in the close game, like the, you know, the, the toss up kind of games. Um, oh yeah. And I didn't mention this earlier, but I can't wait for the Pittsburgh game. Cause I need to put it. I mean, like stomp on their face with a hobnail boot. I am so ready just to whip that ass. I, and it and it's not even because like yeah they 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 talked reckless of course because you know they they beat Clemson a couple years ago before Clemson won the national championship they beat us last year um, and then you know we fell off the rails because injuries and Malik Rogier was peak and I mean peak bad Malik Rogier for the last three games but yeah you know I just I, I'm very ready for that game I'm very ready for that beatdown and I know that they cannot compete with us so uh, I'm looking forward to making that become a reality but yeah I. Honestly, the choice for me is between 11 and 1 and 12 and 0. Um, I know that it's going to be a tight game against Florida State. I know that they're going to, you know, do their lethal simplicity kind of up-tempo Gulf Coast offense. I know that Miami, Florida State throw out the records because everybody plays harder and players on both sides 
have said for years that they play harder in the Miami Florida State game than any other game because it means more. I didn't make that up. You can go look it up. Everybody's everybody knows that. So even with that being said, Miami's a better team. Period. So it really comes down to me to LSU. Um I'm gonna I, I think I'm gonna go with Mike and say eleven and one. Um I don't think that we lose to LSU. Um, I just don't. I don't feel that. Um, I think that there is a game in the season that will get us some somehow, uh, even though it probably shouldn't, uh, especially, you know, from the fact that Miami is, is favored to win every game. So I think that you're looking at 11 and one going into the ACC championship game against Clemson uh, because Clemson's going to be in the championship game with either zero or one loss. And then, you know, we kind of take it from there. Um and, you know, hopefully we're the scheme, which uh, one of our writers at State of the U just wrote about uh, today, I want to say, does not enable quarterbacks to complete 72% of their passes over the last four games like it did last year. When Kelly Bryant was looking like the next coming of Peyton Manning against the Miami defense uh, in the ACC championship game. I mean, it was just there. There's no reason for Kelly Bryant to put up the numbers that he did throwing the ball, you know, and we dared him to hit his throws uh, and he hit them. Unlike Malik Rozier, when dared to do that, uh, but yeah, I think I'm just. I Miami is making another step towards being back, but I cannot say undefeated because I just uh, there's just a, too many little questions that I think are gonna, and one of them is gonna catch up, or four of them are gonna combine to be a minor one. So eleven and one, Malik Rozier. Malik Rozier. I mean, no, I mean, in, in addition to that, I mean, you're talking about. Uh, Inexperienced on the offensive line. You're talking about youth on defense, especially in the secondary, when you're going to try to integrate a lot of young guys there. You could maybe have some injuries, which obviously ravaged the offense last year. You could have it just, you know, the ball could bounce other ways. And I mean, there's, you know, David Hale from ESPN did a nice uh, deep dive on the statistics of turnovers and how they're basically luck. And that was a foundation for the success last year was getting those turnovers. But what if that ball bounces the other way? It's like in 2016 when I went up to Notre Dame and Jamal Carter had that ball, that fumble on the goal line, and all of a sudden Notre Dame had it. Now, I don't want to say any I, – I saw Jamal Carter have that ball is what I'm saying. But that ball ended up with another player. So that one little bounce changes everything. Like we could have won that game, but we lost it. You know, like one little thing. It, it, could, be, it could be something as small as the bounce of a football. You know, like and you're going for a turnover and they get it back and then they drive the field, they hit a field goal and that field, you know, whatever. So trust me, I know all about a single bounce changing the outcome of a Miami game. Let's just say that. Oh, it was a good time, man. <laughs> for you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that that fourth down pass to Daryl Langham, that was one where like, <laughs> you know, I, I go to the games in the press box and I'm sitting there and the Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech, uh, you know, staff and, and writers are uh well, the writers, not the staff, but, you know, the journalists are kind of in front of me. And there's a rule across sports that there's no cheering in the press box. And every Miami journalist, especially me as a fan and alum, kind of went, and you just heard, no, from the Georgia Tech contingent there. And so heads hitting the desk, the whole thing, all of that. So, yeah, it was a. Yeah, definitely the thrill of uh, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat all at the same time. Here's here's where I'm at with this is I'm I'm really torn between what both of you guys have said about Miami being the most talented team on the field in arguably every game that they'll play, and it's inarguably in ten of the twelve games they'll play. Uh, versus a, frankly, it's really hard to go undefeated. You know, especially again a bunch of eighteen to twenty two year olds with a weird shaped ball like. Stuff's going to happen at some point. And B, the way that I saw Miami win several of their games last year where they were not convincing beatdowns from the start and they were kind of comeback and kind of closer wins than maybe they should have been, all things you know on paper that, that would have told us that. And so that's where I, I'm not ready to sit here and predict 12-0. and 0. I'm going to go like 10-2. and 2. I've been on this podcast and I've said that I think that Miami is anywhere between like an eight and 11 win team. It's like, I kind of have no idea what we're going to get. And it might just straight up come down to what we get from the quarterback position, Malik Marzier. Um, And so that's, I think I'm going to go 10 and two. I think that they're going to trip up at a couple of these. It might be right out the gate at LSU. It might be, 
Um, you know, Florida State, Boston College you brought up. I, I kind of glazed over that one a little bit, but that might be tougher than we think. Luckily, Miami gets that coming off a of bye week. But the way this all sets up, I, I'm thinking 10-2. and two, I could see it better. I could see it worse. And, and that's – all things told, that's not a bad place to be if you're Miami. It's not a bad place to be, but I, if it's worse than 10-2, and two, then I think that a few things have gone wrong, honestly. I mean, it just especially with the disparity of talent um, on the field and all these other games. I mean, clearly, like we're going to blow out Savannah State. I wrote that already this summer and I still have Savannah State players and fans and alumni <laughs> coming to me about that. But that's adorable. Mad online. Yeah, I mean, they're mad online and it is adorable because, I mean, you know, whatever. We're going to blow them out by. I mean, they, what, what is it? I think they're 62 to four. 62 to 5 uh, is the average score for Savannah State against a, a power or FBS team in the last six years. Oh, like, God. and you think that like me saying it's going to be blowout city is like going overboard, whatever. Um, Toledo, that's a win. FIU, that's a win. Carolina, that should be a win. Florida State, I mean, it could be closer than the experts think, but that should be a win. Virginia, that's a win. Boston College could be a little tougher, but that should be a win. Duke is a win. Georgia Tech, yeah, you got to play that scheme, but that should be a win. Virginia Tech, I mean, that's going to be a real toss-up game right there. I mean, you know, 58% win probability early, you know, preseason by S&P Plus. That's probably going to be the game that people are looking at uh, or one of the games to slip up. Uh, And then Pittsburgh, you know, I need a beat down there. So, yeah, you're really talking LSU and Virginia Tech. So you have a two-game season. Um, but Miami is still favored in both of those games. So, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're talking worse than 10 and 2, you're talking three losses on that schedule. That means you lost to LSU and Florida State. Like, well, LSU, yeah, LSU, either Florida State or Virginia Tech and a third game, which could be the other one of those two or some random team who's like really, really, really overmatched. Bro, I can't. Yeah, I mean, a season losing a marquee opener, rivalry game to Florida State, so that would be, what, eight out of nine for them. And then Virginia Tech all in the same year? Oh, that's – I mean, yeah, there's a lot of teams that would love nine and three, but that nine and three for Miami, this Miami team, in a 2018 season that the program has been building to. You know, like last year's 10-win season came – we that was like borrowed money. That was house money. Everything was really looking at the 2018 season. So if you get that a year early and then you regress from that, ooh, that would oh boy, that's that's no bueno. I mean, I wouldn't mind, but this again, this is the Mike and Joey hate Miami podcast, so yeah, I don't I know mean, what you expected. I mean, yeah, pretty much. So <laughs> I mean, I mean, hey, I, man, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind that loss in Blacksburg. So I, I know, hey, like just like I didn't mind that win against Georgia Tech or Virginia Tech last year. So I mean, yeah, I mean, but objectively, I mean, yeah, I, more than two losses, I think is going to be a problem, honestly, uh, in the regular season. I just don't. That's not where this team should be. You should be a one loss or two loss team. You know, come hell or high water, you have a lot of guys who figured it out through thick and thin how to win those games last year. Now, was Miami in those situations because Malik Rozier played like? the worst quarterback in, uh, you know, FBS football for a half? Yes, absolutely. I mean, if you look at, I mean, any of the games that were close, Georgia Tech, trash. North Carolina, trash. Pittsburgh, lost that game, super-duper trash. Florida State, should have beat them, honestly, by three or four touchdowns last year, but didn't because Malik Rogier was super-duper trash in the first half. Even, you know, that Syracuse game was closer than it should have been for a half. Uh, that Virginia game was closer than it should have been for a half because he played so poorly at the beginning. Now, the team had the talent to dig, or, you know, get out of the hole that he dug or – Helped to dig because it was not only him. I will say that there were offensive line issues. If you look in that, you know, rolls or sorry, not rolls, that Orange Bowl game, I know people are going to contend this with me. He threw the worst, Malik Rozier threw the worst interception I've ever seen on that slip screen. And I know that Casey McDermott, the left tackle, the offensive lineman, needs to make that block to cut the, you know, defender and get his hands on the ground. I know that. I know that Casey McDermott did not do that. But I and I know that the route is a timing route where, you know, it's one, two, three and let it go. But you're not a robot. You're not throwing it with eyes closed. You can see that there's a big dude because Malik Rozier is only six foot one. You have a six foot four dude in the passing lane right there. You see him. He's taller than you, bro. He's wearing a bright white jersey because we wore black jerseys. You saw him and threw it anyway. 
right to him. That was the worst throw, the worst interception that I've seen. Even all of that being said, it was not only Malik Rozier, but he needs to play better. And if he plays better, I think that that raises the level of the offense across the board. Nobody really has athletes to run with Miami. Amon Richards hopefully is going to be healthy. He's a transformational player. He's a first-round draft pick kind of wide receiver. But Litnikoff award winner if he's healthy or type talent if he's healthy. Um, yeah, and just everything flows better, obviously. If you, you know, you're completing passes, and even if you're instead of going three and out, what if you get seven plays and get to midfield? So you're flipping any of those things. But yeah, man, like a three-loss regular season, three or, or more, like God forbid, like a eight and four season, like dumpster fire. Like, yo, what's going on? We need you know, really overhaul the roster. You got to start looking at the assistance and the scheme and that, you know, like kind of a thing. But yeah, I mean, just, I don't think that Miami can be worse than 10 and two Um, to be, to be on the path that we've already set. Uh, And like I said, I hope that that is 11 and one, but that's why they play the games. (laughs) You're getting nervous already. You guys, you heard it here first. No more than two losses for Miami come hell or high water. Uh, that straight from Cam Underwood. He is the uh, the authority on all things Miami football. Cam, it is, it's been great having you back. Thank you for coming back. And we're, uh, we're looking forward to seeing what Miami does, if they can uh, finish the drill this year and win the, win the conference, go to the playoff, do all those things, um, or if we're still waiting on the U to be back another season. Well, well, you know, I think that we're still waiting on the U to be back until we win a championship. But, you know, to get towards the playoff and a championship, you have to get back to the ACC championship game, uh, you know, and hopefully hope for a, a better result than last year. So, yeah, you know, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to the season. I'm very excited. I already have my ticket to go out to uh, Dallas for the opener, which is in Arlington, I know, because they, you know, specify the city and whatnot. But, yeah, I'm very excited for all of that. And, uh, you know, to be back on here and have a go ACC moment of the week of somebody doing something stupid. Uh, you know, and just kicking it with you fellas. It is it is about that time. Cam, thank you. You're the man. Appreciate you joining us again. Thanks, Cam. Yeah, anytime, guys. We'll talk again soon. Uh, Mike, we got to get out of here. We got another preview we got to do. But until next time, uh, they can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. And that guy right over there, he is at Underwood Sports on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, you can find him, you know, stateoftheu.com on the SB Nation network. Uh, also at State of the U on Twitter. Did I get there? Is it State of the U or the State of the U? It's the State of the U on Twitter. At the State of the U on Twitter. Uh, go find Cam Underwood for all things Miami football and other sports. Uh, y'all can send us an email if you got questions on other uh, team previews or anything else to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Yes, sir. Uh, find us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, the Overcast app, and wherever podcasts are sold for free. And uh, Mike, tell them where they can find us on the social medias. Facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there. Please do. Uh, Mike, that's all we got here. Uh, another big thanks to Cam Underwood for joining us. Cam, we will talk to you soon. Uh, and all the rest of you guys will talk to you again soon. But until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, Mr. Cam Underwood, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much. We'll talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC. Go ACC.